0: first reading is Exodus chapter 16, and we'll be starting at verse 1. And if you'd like to follow it in the Church Bibles, you can find it on page 73. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, He who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. "'You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, "'and on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. "'Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, "'but they found none. "'Then the Lord said to Moses, "'How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions?' Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed, and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it then place it before the Lord, to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony, that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years, until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An Omer is one tenth of an Ephah. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This reading is taken from Matthew, verse six. Sorry, chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord.
2: readings. Am I on? Can you hear me at the back? Yeah, great. Okay. Would you just stand with me? Let's just kind of shake off if you'd like to. Just kind of stand with me. A uh, l- couple of long readings, weren't they? Let's just encourage o- e- each other with these words. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Grab a seat. And I could sit down now because that could be the end of my talk, but I'm not going to. Rather, let's turn to God's words and let's encourage one another through it. I don't know about you, but I am very quick to grumble. I can grumble about all kinds of things. One of my favorite things to grumble about when I go back to the Isle of Wight is the state of the Isle of Wight roads. Anyone been there recently? The roads are terrible. Come on, Isle of Wight council. Sort it out. Get someone in. We complain about the government, can't we? We can grumble about Brexit. We grumble about all kinds of things. I'm very quick to grumble about the weather. It can be too hot, too windy, too cold, but it never snows. Why doesn't it ever snow in Portsmouth? And often it's too hot in the summer. I was uh, Googling this week and uh, looking um, on the internet about complaining. and found some very funny stories. Uh, One uh, uh, person called Dan G complained to TripAdvisor recently. He was disappointed when he visited Stonehenge. He wrote, it's just a bunch of rocks in a field. Wow. I mean, what was he expecting? Uh, other visitors went to a water park recently, and they booked their day to the water park and, and complained. They said, no one told us we needed to bring our own swimming costume and towels. So said, we assumed it'd be included in the price. Others complained, saying it was so hot, we had to queue outside, and there was no air conditioning. Air conditioning outside, whatever next? <laughs> Another family came back from holiday and grumbled to the travel agent, saying, no one told us there'd be fish in the sea. Their children were startled. We can grumble about all kinds of things. Most of us grumble, and some of us grumble most of the time. And this section in Exodus is all about grumbling. Turn with me to page 73 of your Bible in front of you, because we're going to look just outside of our passage as well. From chapter 15, verse 22, all the way through to 17, there's three stories all about grumbling. Now, let's just remind one another the context. Where are we in the story of the book of Exodus? The Lord had rescued 600,000 Israelite men, plus women and children. They'd been taken out of the clutches of the wicked Pharaoh, and they'd been rescued from slavery in Egypt. Let's go to our slide. Uh, um, great. Great. And we thought last week, didn't we, about kind of the Israelites walking through the Red Sea, which God had parted. It was God's wind or God's spirit that drove back the waters so that God's people could walk through safely. Now, some of the research that I've done kind of concluded that that this is a conservative estimate about the height of these walls of water. The Spinnaker Tower, plus three sizes of a standard swimming pool, stacked on top of each other. Just imagine... Walking through these two huge walls of water, one on your right, one on your left. Imagine the kind of spray coming off the water in your face as you're walking with the cattle and your family. And God leads you all the way through this parted sea, and you're safe the other side. And then you turn back and you watch as these two huge walls of water come dropping down, crash on God's enemies, the Egyptians. Absolutely smashed to smithereens. God's people safe, the other side, and God giving victory over their enemies. And isn't that a picture of the Lord Jesus for us? It's a picture of the cross, isn't it? Jesus died to rescue us. He made a new way for us so that we can be safe, our sins forgiven. And at the same time, he destroys all of God's enemies that stand opposed to him. Sin and death and Satan and hell all crushed under Jesus' victory at the cross. And now God's people, we're free, aren't we? Just like they were. And this is the first time in the book of Exodus that God's people take center stage in the story. And we're asking ourselves, what kind of people are these Israelites going to be? What kind of people is it that God has just rescued? Look with me at Exodus 15. Well, there are people, and it looks really good, who make music and sing to the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength in my song. He's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. Is that your God? Hallelujah. It's looking so good for the Israelites, isn't it? God is good. All the time. All the time. It's good, isn't it? But we need to learn from these Israelites and we need to learn. Let's go to our next slide. We need to learn the first point, and it's this. We need to see the faithlessness of the Israelites. Just think for a moment. God has promised. Let's go to the next slide. Just bring those points up for me. God had promised to be with Moses, and he was. God had promised to rescue the people from Pharaoh, and he did. And they're singing these praises to the Lord. And three days later, it looks like God's goodness has all but dried up. Look with me at chapter 15, verse 22. They traveled for three days into the desert without finding any water. Now, I wonder if you've ever been to the Middle East, and you've ever walked through the desert. Has anyone ever gone a day without drinking water? Just put your hand up if you have. One day without drinking any water. Okay. Have you ever done two days without water? Two days, okay? Now, I imagine after two days, you're going to be pretty thirsty, particularly if you're walking through a desert. And these guys were thirsty, and it's just amazing, isn't it, when you get a nice cold glass of water on a hot, on a hot sunny day. We're looking forward to the summer, aren't we? Just drinking that refreshing cold water. It's so satisfying But these guys were thirsty. They had no water and um, they, they come to this place called Mara in verse 23, and they realize that the water there is undrinkable. They just can't drink it. And just think again about this context. They've been rescued. They're God's people. They're safe from God's enemies. They're now free with God. God's overthrown every enemy. And what happens after salvation comes to this people? They're tested. Their trust in God is tested. And that's what happens. God tests Our faith. God tests his people's faith. Whoever heard about a faith not being tested, that's what God does. He tests our faith to prove whether it's genuine in him or not. Well, God does uh, make this bitter water sweet. You can read that passage later. And then in verse 27, let's go back a slide, they go down to a place called Elim, where there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. I mean, being thirsty, that's going to satisfy you, isn't it? But I don't know, 600,000 men plus women and children with 70 palm trees, I think they're going to strip those trees like locusts, right? That's not going to last very long. So they move on, and they, um, and they, they do. Uh, they leave that place, and we come to chapter 16. But before we look at this, would you just flick with me to page 1,217 in your Bibles? Flick with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, because I just want to prove to you this point, that God is a God who tests our trust in him. Page 1217, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 reads this, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth. There's a new way into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.'" and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade kept in heaven for you it's interesting that isn't it that our inheritance is kept for us who through faith verse 5 are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time and we're being kept for that inheritance that's what that's saying in this verse 6 you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials all kinds of trials And these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. God tests our faith. The image here is of a goldsmith taking a lump of kind of metal and heating it up, proving it, burning off the dross and all the impurities. And then what you're left with afterwards is that pure precious metal, that pure gold. That's what God does for us. He tests us to prove our faith to be genuine. Flick back with me to Exodus, Exodus 15. Because God tested this people, end of verse 25. The Lord made a decree for them and he tested them and he said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and if you do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases. I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Well, that's the test. Chapter 16. Six weeks have passed since this, and now God's people, they're still in the desert, and this time they run out of food. And the whole of the Israelites, chapter 16, verse 2, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Uh, They said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's a dreadful thing. Now this is more than just an irrationality of some hungry people. It's not just that they're hungry and angry. Actually, it's a demonstration of their faithlessness in the God who rescues. God. Will not provide for us, they say. God, actually, you're not being good to us, after all. It's, it's it's a little bit like the Israelites have kind of spat in God's face and turned their back on Him. Look at verse four with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, "I will rain down bread from heaven for you." What amazing, abundant grace from God! Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a great kindness of God? The people are to go out each day, verse 4. They're to gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they'll follow my instructions. On their sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in. And that's to be twice as much as they gather on other days. Look down with me at verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you'll eat meat. And in the morning, you'll be filled with bread. And you'll know that I'm the Lord, your God. And God provided manna and quail for his people in the desert. So here's, here's the test. Sunday to Thursday, let's, let's put our next slide on if it's up there. Sunday to Thursday, you're to go out and gather up, next one, gather up as many Krispy Kreme donuts and Frosties from the desert floor as you would like. Go out there and do it. Sunday to Thursday, gather it up. And on Friday, you're to gather twice the amount of Frosties for your breakfast and lunch. Saturday is a day off. Okay, it's simple, right? Do we get that? Sunday to Thursday, collect it. Verse 19, Moses said to them, no one's to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till morning. It was full of maggots, began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Well, what's the test? 15:26. they're to listen to the voice of the Lord. They're to act rightly in his eyes. They're to obey his command. Fail, fail, fail. It's a zero on the test right for them. Friday comes. What are they going to do on Friday? Will they collect double? Look at verse 23. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake. Boil what you want to boil. Save whatever's left. Keep it till morning. They saved it till morning as Moses commanded. It didn't stink. It didn't get maggots in it. Eat it t- t- because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You're not going to find any on the ground. Six days you're to gather, on the seventh there won't be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh to gather it and they found none. And the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Do we see that? There's a test, they fail, God is good, um, and they keep failing. Chapter 17 is a similar pattern, do read that for yourself, it's a great story. No time to go into that now, but there is a lesson here for us to learn. We might be sat here thinking, wow, this is just so obvious. Why didn't they just listen carefully to the voice of the Lord? Why didn't they just act rightly in his eyes and obey his command? Well, we struggle, don't we, just like they do. Monday morning comes and we forget the goodness of God. We forget that God is testing us to prove our faith to be genuine. We quickly forget in the busyness of life and when trials come to doubt in the goodness of the Lord. We're to learn, go back to that slide with the points on, we're to learn from the faithlessness of the Israelites and we're to trust that the Lord is good to his people today. God wants us to trust him, doesn't he? Every day God wants us to trust him for his faithfulness, for his goodness. The Bible says not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. We need to trust in the Lord today. Well I just want you just for a moment just to think about your life I want you to think about your circumstances and what you're going through. I want you you just to consider all the amazing blessings and grace that God pours out on you. Just think about where you rest your head at night. Think about what fills your wardrobe and what fills your kitchen cupboards. Do you know one-sixth of the population live on less than a dollar a day? Did you know that? Half the population live on less than $10 a day. And God's good to them. God provides for them like he provides for us. We're so blessed, aren't we? We're blessed. We're rich. We're wealthy. God has blessed the world in which we live. According to a survey that I looked into a little while back, um, people in the West would be happy and content if they just earned twice as much as they get now. Right? So that's us. We'd be happy and content if we earned twice as much as we currently get now. Paul says in Philippians 4, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, for I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Amen? We need to learn that contentment. We need to learn that secret of being content now in Christ and in what he has entrusted to our care. Because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness now in Christ Jesus. might not be everything we want. We we might want twice as much. But we can trust that the Lord is good and he's faithful. Now, I just briefly want to talk about stewardship and kind of three areas of kind of stewardship. Now, I know we hate talking about money. We hate talking about how we use our time and resources. But three biblical principles about stewardship. The first is saving. Now you might be surprised to learn that saving is actually encouraged in the Bible. It's possible to save and invest in the future and at the same way be rich towards God and store up treasures in heaven. It's possible to live like that. But for some people, saving can be a purely selfish activity. And you might know people a bit like that. We can be tempted to save For wrong reasons. Fear and greed and independence from God, not needing God, and not needing others can be a real motive uh, when we think about finances and saving. So the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 would be an example of that and a warning to us. Don't be like him. Don't just store up grain and build bigger barns so you can take life easy in your twilight years. Don't live like that. Don't be a fool, the Bible says. Saving doesn't have to be a purely selfish activity. We can honour God in how we do it, because every good gift comes from God, doesn't it? Instead of living like that, instead of having unplanned and um, impulsive, foolish spending, we can wisely steward the gifts that God has entrusted to us. And God wants us to steward our finances in a wise way, so that when a need arises, when, when needs arise, we're in the best possible position to help other people um, when, when problems or needs come. And actually, in saving, we can leave an inheritance to others, to our family, to bless our families so that they can go on and bless other people. Proverbs 13 says this A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Did you get that? It's good. To leave an inheritance to our children's children. Parents, we know that university and schooling can be expensive. So it's worth us, isn't it, just putting a little bit away, even if it's only five pounds a month, to kind of think about how we might stop our children coming out of university with a huge student loan. We need to be wise with what God has entrusted to us. So that's saving. Secondly, spending. Some of us can and easily get into spending habits that can become really problematic. Some of us have built up credit cards and loans, and the interest rates on those can be really crippling. And if that's you, if you're struggling with debt, please come forward, please come and speak to us. We'd love to point you uh, into the direction of where you can get advice on how to form better spending habits and where you can find help. Take action. Uh, Don't suffer with that today. And on the flip side of that is hoarders, people who just grab hold of their money, and they cling hold of it so tightly, who don't spend money full stop, consumed by the need just to hold on to what they have. Actually, living like that can bring curse and judgment upon your life, the Bible says. God has given us good gifts to enjoy his good creation. So where to do it. So if you're a hoarder, if that's you, if I'm talking to you now, you need to get out more. Go and spend some money. Okay? Guys, if this is you, take your wife out to dinner. Or better than that, take her on holiday and buy her lots and lots of dinners. Don't hold on to everything that you've got. Enjoy God's good creation. But don't take spending to the extreme, either spending all your money um, or kind of holding on to it too tightly. Don't be stingy. Whichever's right for you, find that balance, okay, Um, with our spending. And thirdly, giving. And we need to hear this, I think, don't we? Giving should be sacrificial and costly to us, but it should never cripple us. Some of you might need to look at your uh, finances and review your giving, and if you're giving too much and you're starting to feel the pressure of it, review it and give less to the work of the ministry here at St. Jude's Church. Others, you might not be giving at all. Well, uh, my encouragement is to give so that the gospel here in South Sea can go out. Because what we want to do is bless our community. We want to see lives transformed, don't we? We want to see people come into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, his life and death, resurrection and ascension. They need to know their sins can be forgiven and eternal life is on offer through Jesus. And as you give to the work here, Actually, we can do that more and more. A broad rule that kind of Mel and I have followed throughout our married life is that we give away 10% of our income, of what comes in. We give out 10% to the charities and the churches that we support. It's part of our spiritual act of worship. And thirdly, uh, some of you, when you give money to the church here, you're giving it over to us, you're entrusting your money to us, trust that we're going to use your money Wisely for the advance of the gospel, so that people can hear about Jesus and put their trust in Him. And we want you to know that you can trust us with your money, but don't trust us too much. St. Jude's publishes its accounts every year. Please do review the accounts and look at how your money's being spent, how we're caring for the assets like this church building and others, um, and how we're supporting and caring for the charities and mission partners that we support. God is good. All the time. We can trust his goodness. We don't need to grumble. We can be grateful for the good gifts that God has given. I don't know how you're going to respond. Let's just take a moment and just think about that passage. Maybe think about what the Lord is calling us to do. Maybe to repent, to put our trust in him and not be trusting in other things, in worldly possessions or what they might be. The Bible says, whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your provision to us. Thank you that you richly bless us. Lord, please challenge us, speak to our hearts, and help us respond in a way that gives the Lord Jesus praise, glory, and honor. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Adam. So let's stand and sing in response uh, to Adam's message about God's unfailing love, his faithful provision for all our needs. So let's stand and sing. Great is thy faithfulness.
3: Is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father? There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changes not, Thy compassions they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou for thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness